Good morning. Today's scripture reading is Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, dividing the wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. At the very beginning of this week, I was in the car with one of my daughters, and we were driving, and I was at a uh, stoplight, one of those that allows somebody to turn first and then you go forward, right? So the light comes on and the arrow points and somebody turns and then the light is still red for those who are proceeding forward. I was in the proceeding forward lane. There were many people on the turning lane, and I was in the proceeding forward lane, and there were people behind me and people in front of me. And as the light turned, the people began to move beside me, and they began to turn. And I don't know what was going on in the life of the individual that was behind me, but for some reason, maybe out of the corner of their eye, they saw that there was green up on the light, and they felt that I should be moving forward. And I wasn't moving forward because I saw that there was red, that I should not be moving forward, but yes, indeed, there were cars that were moving forward, and Honestly, sometimes when I see cars moving beside me, I think it's time for me to go as well. But I was paying good attention this time and saw that it was red. But for whatever reason, the person behind me didn't like that. And so they honked their horn at me, informing me that I was not being smart and I should start moving forward, even though I knew I shouldn't be moving forward because the light was clearly red. And even though the people beside me were driving, they were turning. And it made me think to myself, perhaps I'll just count how many times I get honked at or someone else gets honked at while I'm driving this week. I can tell you I didn't intentionally drive poorly in order to get honked at. But I did hear throughout the week about five other times that somebody was honked at. Maybe it was somebody that was walking across the street in the crosswalk in Fremantle where we know In Fremantle, you stop for the person walking across, but somebody might be here that didn't know that, and so they honked their horn at them, or again, somebody didn't quite move quick enough when the light turned green, and so somebody behind them honked, and I thought, boy, 
This world, we're just all about having things happen at our own pace. These poor, poor people in the world. And then yesterday happened where I was driving and I was very frustrated by the people that were driving around me. So much so that I said, God bless, and not in the good way. Not in the, bless them, let them live good, prosperous lives, give them goodness, but God bless, why did you make somebody so stupid that they don't know how to drive correctly? It just reveals a little bit in our own hearts that we live in a place where we like to elevate who we are and diminish the rights and personhood of those who are around us. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about coming together, together again, and what that means. And so we had to go back to the beginning and see that sin came into the world through Adam and Eve. And in that sin, it caused us to have separation. It caused us to have shame, that we begin to blame shift against other people, and that eventually hostility enters in, and death and murder. We also recognize that we can't just blame it on Adam, that we have to take that responsibility onto ourselves because we walk in the way of Adam. But then last week we learned that Christ became our sin so that we would become his righteousness. And it's in that moment that that shame and that separation and that blame shifting is dealt with. It's taken away by Christ. And in this passage today, we see that Christ on the cross also deals with the hostility that is between us. That in this place, on the cross, Christ comes and he preaches peace to those who are near and peace to those who are far off. He says that in me and in my death and resurrection, I am creating a new man and a new woman. That I am bringing together those within me into my body so that they can live at wholeness, at shalom, at peace with one another. And so it moves us to the place where we no longer elevate ourselves, but we elevate Christ because that's where we reside. Yet still... It was very easy for me to be frustrated at somebody's driving. Our hearts still move to a place where our recognition of our own selves and our own rights are very important, and those of those around us are a little bit less important. It's not that they're not important, but not just quite as much as mine. But when we come to this passage, we see that Christ says this, not only did I deal with hostility, which is enmity, which is this great word that says a complete and utter divide between people, hatred. And it, that seems really big, doesn't it? Like, I'm at least a decent enough person to only hate a few really bad people. I don't have a hatred towards everybody. But that's that word. That's, that's what he's saying here. But it's not that he just puts it aside. It's not that he locks it up. It's not that he covers over it or makes it less hateful. This passage says that Jesus on the cross put to death, killed hostility between us. That means it's gone. 
That means it's over. That means in the grand scheme of things, in the reality that is, maybe not the reality we see, but the reality that is, in Christ there should be no hostility between us. How amazing is that? That in this place where we're moving to come together again, and in the world that we see, that we live in, that it just desperately seems on micro levels, meaning I have a disagreement with somebody over here, or somebody's not wearing a mask and so I'm upset, or somebody is wearing a mask so I'm upset, to major things where there is conflict and war and riots, where we belittle people because of their race or their socioeconomic standing or their intelligence, or their giftedness. Where it just seems impossible to think that actually hostility has been put to death. We need to recognize, as those of us who are following Christ, or those of us who are trying to discover if this Christ thing is really real, that there is something that calls us to a place that's greater. And that it challenges us in our own hearts in a place where we have to step into the fact that hostility is gone. So what does that look like for us? I think the first thing that we recognize is this, that if we know that Christ has killed hostility, that it no longer exists, the first thing that we have to recognize is that God is making one new man. And it's not one new man that he had no clue who it was. It was the human race that was from the beginning. That God is saying, I'm making all things new as they always were and should have been. And so if we step into the place of understanding that hostility is put to death, then we begin to recognize that every human being, regardless of who they are and how they look or how they act or how we want to perceive them, should be seen as an image bearer of God himself. That we begin to look at people differently than just what they can give us or what I can achieve through them, but we see them as just solidly an image bearer of God. That by seeing them, we see the creative nature of God, the steadfast love of God, the fact that God is unique in his design for each particular person, that there is something beautiful to be recognized within them. And so, we don't count people based on the particularness of who they are. However, we should celebrate them in the particularness of who they are. Right? We don't say that's exactly who you are. Uh, how we should identify you is only in this way. But we should take time to recognize that they are that way. And God has created them in some form or fashion to be his image bearer. So first, we recognize that all people and we can begin to think differently about who they are. Not somebody that's getting in my way, or not somebody that's hindering my progress, or not somebody that's not following what I would like things to look like. But instead, just simply someone who is an image bearer of God, the God who pursues us and loves us steadfastly to bring us into whole relationship with Him. But the second thing we have to realize is that, in fact, sin did happen. And so in our particularness, in who God has created us to be, we're not completely what that is yet. That there are things about me that don't line up with the way God created me to be, to be his image bearer. I mean, think about it. When you're called out by your children in a car because you say, God bless, and they say, are you allowed to say that? 
and you quickly cover it up because shame creeps in and you go, well, I was praying for them. We recognize that the world has fallen, that there are things that have happened, that we, our own hearts, turn towards itself and want to elevate ourselves higher and say, the supreme image bearer of God is me. But if we begin to recognize our own brokenness, if we begin to recognize those places where we're not lining up with the completeness of the image bearing thing that we were made to be in God, then we can move quickly towards repentance. So the second way that we deal with the hostility that has been put to death, but the reality that it still exists in this world, is that we become those who are quick to repent. We become those who are quick to say, this is where I have done wrong. That we know that shame and separation and blame shifting have been taken care of on the cross by Christ because he became our sin so that we could be his righteousness. And it gives us and empowers us the ability to say, I was wrong. I sinned against you and against others. I've been reading a lot of books recently about reconciliation and in particularly racial reconciliation. There's a book right now that I'm actually listening to because it's about that thick. And it's called Stamped from the Beginning and it's a history of racist ideas in, in America. It's very easy for me to look at my life and how I've lived and to think of people that I've been friends with and go, I don't think I need to apologize for any of those things. Those things haven't affected me. I don't think that way about people. But the reality is, if I really dig deep, I recognize that the brokenness of this world has infiltrated my heart because I am too broken and it's so easy for me to align with it that there are places and times where I have thought to myself, they're not worthy of being seen as an image bearer of God. I remember distinctly sitting in an office asking for help from people and thinking to myself, I'm me and I shouldn't have to ask for help. Of course they should. It's in those moments that shame creeps in and we want to hide that and go, oh, no, 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 that's just a one-off. But the reality is I should always be in a place where I recognize how influenced I am by my own brokenness and the brokenness of the world around me so that I am quick to say, yes, I am the chief among sinners. That's why Paul is able to say that. I, I can't help but do it because of the brokenness. Please, let me ask your forgiveness. I used to joke that I had the spiritual gift of offense. That's not a joke. <laughs> In two ways. It's not a joke. I do offend a lot. <laughs> but it's not a joke because... As a follower of Christ, those who are in Christ, we should always be seeking to live at peace 
with those that we encounter and to avoid offending them. And when we do, we must be quick to repent. And so we recognize the divine image of who they are in God. We become those who are first to repent, those who run to a place of recognizing our brokenness. But the third thing that we need to do to do away with hostility is we must be first to forgive. We must be those who are open in our heart to receive those who are repenting. And even before they repent, our posture should be one of, I want you to come to your brokenness and receive forgiveness. And so I will be the first to give it to you. I will be the one that says, I go in this way because God has forgiven me. And so I forgive you even before you ask. That means I want to align our relationships back together. That means I want to work in a place where we can get on common ground with one another. That I want to say, yes, even though I might disagree with your philosophy and the way that you made those decisions, even though I may disagree with the way that you've handled the situation, how can we move closer together as opposed to farther apart? I will forgive you of the offense that you have given to me. Why? Because Christ became our offense on the cross. And so I no longer have right to it anyway. Because he became sin. That means not just my sin. That means all sin. And so offense is taken away. And I can't have it. That being said, there are things and places where you're going to forgive people that you might not need to be in relationship with going forward. It might not be a safe relationship. It might be a relationship that has been abusive and hurtful. And so there's a place where you are called to protection and peace. And yet you cannot be bitter towards that person. You cannot hold that. but also recognize that it might not be till glory that you can completely let go of it. And God in His grace and mercy and peace understands that and knows it. But as much as we're calling us to be one human race, as much as this passage seems to be calling us and saying, those who are far off I've brought in and those who are near I've brought in, that he is our peace, that he has preached peace to us, that he's put to death hostility. Yet even here we see there is a division. And the division is very clear. The division rests in this. Those who in faith are in Christ and those who are not. That those who are not in Christ don't have the power, the spirit, the thing that is necessary to move from hostility to peace. God in His good grace and His common good that He sheds over the world that holds it together allows that grace to pour out on us. And so we see people living in peace together all over. We see reconciliation happening. 
But if we are looking at the scripture and we are seeing Christ clearly who he is and how he's put to death hostility, it means that we have to move into him, be brought into faith with him. And so while it is beautiful to see it happening, I I, I just have to say it's not a complete work. Because the complete work is only done in Christ and what he has done. That's the reason why Galatians, just the book behind, says this in Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 27. For as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, our particularness, the way that God has made us to be, joins together in Christ and he grabs that particularness and makes it this beautiful mosaic of who Jesus is to the world so that they can see they can be called to peace as well. And so we don't hold on to our practical, particular identities anymore. We're those who have moved away from that. Yes, I'm a balding, semi-good speaker, lover of food, father to five, husband to one, which is a good thing, American who lives in Australia, And wants to be Australian so badly. But that's not my identity. My identity is Christ. You are who you are in your particularness. Those things that I just mentioned, those are all things that God has given and created and designed and moved. Those are the same for you. I'm also an aggro, angry, overeating Sometimes controlling. Really hard person to live with. And so are you. And yet God takes that beautifulness and that brokenness and he pulls it together because we are in Christ. And so we recognize those who are the image of Christ, the image of God image bearers of who he is. We move quick to repentance and we move quick to forgiveness. And what does that cause us to do? It causes us to be the sweet aroma of life and we become a place of worship as we're gathered in. We become a dwelling place of the spirit so that God is lifted up and magnified. And so those who are not in Christ yet will be challenged and will be encouraged and will be comforted and will find their placement in him so that they can too live in peace with one another and work to move hostility out of this world. One of the craziest things that's happening right now is this idea of cancel culture that's taking place. And I think this actually deals with it well. Because in one way, we should recognize that people need to be able to speak that they need to have their opinions and their placement of what's going on in the world or what's happened in someone's life. Yet too often what happens is there is a cutting off of somebody because of a mistake or something that they have done. Look, forgiveness needs to be there. And repentance needs to be there. 
When it is not, then things break apart. Fractions begin to get larger and larger. Divisions begin to be defined bigger and bigger. Until all of a sudden we have each individual group and or each individual person saying, I am by myself or in this group the arbiter of all good and right in the world. And when we do that, we've run straight back to the beginning. And hostility breaks forth. And so the challenge for us, those who are in Christ, is to be quick to listen to hear what people are saying, to to find that place of possible common ground, but at the same time, not being afraid to call out where things are broken. Not in order to prove that we've got it right and they've got it wrong, but in order to say, I think I know the way. And that way is Jesus. Walk with me. Over the last several months, there have been lots of riots and things that have been happening in my home country, my passport country. It's scary to watch. Here there have been uh, some great uh, protests and movements that have happened and we've been lucky that they've not broken out into violence and that's very good. But I'm reminded of 1992 in the States. In 1991, Rodney King was driving as fast as he could on an LA highway, he was drunk. And there were cops following him, and he didn't want to be stopped by those police officers because he knew that he would get in trouble. And finally, they pulled him over, and they brought him out of the car. And then they began to beat him. And it's one of the first times that somebody with a video camera captured something that was atrocious happening. And so those men were brought up on charges. And yet after a long trial, all but one was acquitted. And that other one, they couldn't find a way to make him guilty, but he wasn't acquitted. It was basically a hung jury. Two hours later, riots erupted in L.A. 67, 68 people died in those riots. And there was a moment that Rodney King, still recovering from the beating that he had had, still kind of bandaged up, even after it had been a year, (laughs) because that's how bad he was beaten came out and said, can't we all just get along? Can't we all get along? Today it seems like the world says this. No. No. But this passage resoundingly screams out, yes. Yes, we can. Not because we will be in agreement on everything. Not because we will be able to see eye to eye and understand. Not because either micro within our relationships at home or flatmates or business workers, we're going to somehow get it all figured out and we're going to be able to live in peace with one another. Or largely, globally, that systemic uh, injustice and racism will end. No, not because of that. That's not why we can resoundingly say yes. We resoundingly say yes because Christ on the cross put to death hostility. And so we do more than get along. We become one with each other in Christ alone. Let me pray for us.
Father, you are holy and mighty. In all that you do, you bring us back into whole relationship with you, with ourselves, with all others, and even the place that we live. Father, we know that these times speak to our hearts and our minds, and it says to us that things are broken and that there's no way we can get along. And so, Holy Spirit, please remind us, speak truth into our lives that, in fact, no, we can and we do not just get along. We become one with each other, built up to bring you glory and honor, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.